Thank you, wonderful musicians. Praise the Lord. Would you now, my friends, take your, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 39 and find in your bulletin the message outline for today. If you need a message outline, uh, slip your hand up and the ushers will pass one to you. Michael and ushers, you'll see the extra message outlines there. Go ahead and just slip your hand up if you need one. I want to, want uh, ushers up here as well, please. I want to welcome our, our radio listeners as we get into the message today. As most of you know, we have a radio ministry, and usually that means the message from the previous Sunday is broadcast on Joy 1250 Radio. And uh, sometimes I have some kind of interesting experiences that, that just kind of happen with our radio listeners. A little while ago, I was visiting in a hospital, a very big hospital and very new in the far west end. And um, I was there to see two patients uh, who were in two very different sections of the hospital. After seeing one patient, I knew, I knew how to get to the second patient, but it meant it was a long journey. I'd have to go back down and then across and across. And I thought, you know, there must be a, an easier way to get to the other patient's room rather than to backtrack. And so when I left the first patient's room, I went over to the nurse's station, and there were about four wonderful nurses that at that point in time were just having a little conversation. And when I saw that they had a break in the conversation, I, I just said, uh, excuse me, uh, wonderful nurses, would, uh, would you maybe be able to direct me, tell me how I can get to such and such a room? in the other end of the hospital. And so when I simply made that request, one of the nurses said, you know, you sound exactly like Pastor Nick <laughs> that I listened to on the radio. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> I thought I'd have some fun. <laughs> so I said, oh, what, uh, what's he like? <laughs> what's he like? So she says, well, I, I really like how he helps me understand how the Bible applies to my life. I said, oh, that's good. That's good. So, <laughs> so we're talking a, a little bit more, and then finally, finally, I thought I'd better kind of let her in uh, so she doesn't think I'm, you know, really weird. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, I just said, uh, by the way, uh, thank you for the nice things you said about Pastor Nick. Uh, I am actually Pastor Nick, <laughs> and I'm so happy to meet you today, and I hope and uh, pray that the radio broadcast is a blessing to you and to other radio listeners. Anyway, I just tell you that just because sometimes some of these interesting things come up that uh, you would never know about, and a lot of times I don't even tell Pastor Lisa or my wife uh, um, unless I, I, you know, I just happen to think about it. All right. 
In our last message on Joseph from Genesis 39, we discovered these truths, all right? We discovered, first of all, that the Lord is with us when things are going well, and the Lord is with us when things are very difficult, all right? When we're going through a very difficult time. That was one of the important lessons we learned last time in our message from Joseph. And then we also discovered that sometimes we have to fight off sexual temptations. Joseph had to fight off sexual temptation from Potiphar's wife big time. She was, uh, she was what? She was a real cougar, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, third lesson we discovered last time was take time to hear what happened from both people, that is both sides, before making a decision and taking action. And that truth came from the fact that according to what we read in the Bible, Potiphar did not give a chance for Joseph to ex explain himself, to hear his side of the story when his wife told him that Joseph tried to rape her, which wasn't the case at all. She made up that story because she did not get her way. She was the one that was inappropriately uh, going after Joseph. So now we come to today's truths. Let's uh, look at Genesis 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. That describes many of you men here. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but after he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way, um, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. 
She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When he saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to his servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Liar. Verse 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners, the other prisoners, and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. My friends, what is a very important lesson that we learn from what we just read? Well, it is this. Sometimes, sometimes you or I can be punished for doing the right thing. Don't give up. Continue to do your best. Amen? Joseph did nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, yet he was thrown into prison. He was punished. Even then, Joseph continued to do his best. Verse 23 says, Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. A variety of people in the Bible were punished for doing the right thing. I'm sure that some of you would be able to think of them. Here are just a few. Those of you who are making notes, A. The prophet Jeremiah was punished for doing the right thing. Jeremiah warned King Zedekiah and the, and the people of Jerusalem that the Babylonian armies were going to attack and destroy Jerusalem. People accused Jeremiah, actually, of defecting to the Babylonians. That's what they accused him of. And Jeremiah 37, verses 15 and 16 says, they were furious. The people were furious with Jeremiah and had him flogged and imprisoned. Jeremiah was put into a dungeon cell where he remained for many days, says the Bible. And then uh, in Jeremiah 38, because Jeremiah continued to warn that Jerusalem will be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, 
who will capture it. Jeremiah 38 verse 4 says this, it says, So these officials went to the king and said, Sir, this man must die. Jeremiah was then lowered into an empty cistern, a pit, in the prison yard. And so we see that Jeremiah was punished for doing what was right. He was telling the king, he was telling the people, warning them that, that Jerusalem was going to be attacked, but they did not want to hear the truth. Here's another example, point B in your message outline. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also punished for doing what was right. These three young Hebrew men were thrown into a fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, when they refused to bow down to the king's image. The Lord, however, rescued them from the fiery furnace in a very beautiful way. And then uh, point C in your handout, there, there is the story as well of Daniel in the Bible who was thrown into a den of lions for doing what was right. But as we know, the Lord delivered him. Daniel was found praying. He was found praying to Almighty God instead of praying to King Darius during a, a 30 days period of time when, uh, when the law said they, the, the people were supposed to only pray to King Darius. So they threw him to the lions, but praise God, the Lord protected him and, and saved him. All right. Here are some ways in which you might be punished in this day and age for doing what is right. There are probably some examples that you can come up with besides these, but here, here are a few. A, at your place of work, on occasion you might be asked by your boss to lie about something. You know you can't lie, and so you tell the truth. By telling the truth, you might be looked upon as being a, a non-cooperative employee, and you might be passed up for a promotion. However, when God sees that you are doing right, God will find the best promotion for you. Amen? Amen? Here's another way sometimes a person is punished for doing what is right. Point B. Whether you are a youth or an adult, sometimes, sometimes friends from school or from work will say something like, hey, let, let's go over to the local bar and have a few beers together. Let's go drinking. Well, if you do the right thing and you say, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't drink any alcohol, it's possible that next time they will exclude you. It can hurt. It can hurt to be excluded. Here's a, su <clears throat> here's a suggestion as to how to handle invitations of uh, going to a bar for a few drinks. Here's a suggestion. Why don't you say something like this? Friends, I, I don't drink alcohol, and I don't feel comfortable going to a bar, but I'd love, I'd love for us to, to get together and go to Tim Hortons or some other shop and have a, a coffee and a donut or, 
some other little snack together. And you know, if we do that, it's cheaper, and, and you, you won't need to be concerned about driving with alcohol in your system. So wouldn't that be a better idea for us to get together at the coffee shop? It's one way of handling that. Isn't that a good suggestion, Pastor Lisa? Yeah. Here's another example, point C. <clears throat> Perhaps you are dating someone and they are eager to have sex. Usually the guys are more eager than the girls. All right. And when, when you tell, when you tell your boyfriend or girlfriend that you won't have sex until you are married, it's possible that he or she will drop you and that can hurt. You might feel like you are being punished. Take comfort in the fact that God has someone better for you. Amen? Amen? Amen. We are talking about some ways in which you might be punished for doing the right thing. Here's another example, D. Sometimes people have told me that just because they, they come to church every Sunday, their husband or wife or brother or sister make fun of them and give them a hard time. And that's sometimes true. Persevere. Here's another reality, point E. We're approaching the, the tax time. We're approaching tax time, and um, we want to be honest and truthful when filling out our income tax papers. Amen? Amen. We also know that disclosing all our income might result in paying more income tax, and you might feel like being punished, or you might feel like you are being punished for doing what is right by having to pay more income more income tax. Do what is right anyway. All right? God will honor you. Let's do what is right. Amen? All right. Here are some promises from God. From 1 Peter chapter 4. We do have the scripture on uh, the screen here. Let's try to read it, but don't, don't just read, read. Try to really absorb what, what the truth is here, okay? Let's try to read it in unison. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God. For the privilege of being called by his name. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Amen. 
And that's 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 16, verse 19. Go ahead, some, some of you were applauding there. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? Amen. So, sometimes you or I can be punished for doing the right thing. Don't give up. Continue to do your best. Let's move on now to chapter 40 in Genesis. Chapter 40 in Genesis says, says this. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his, first, his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so, you might, so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. Verse 18, this is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. By the way, if I had been Joseph, and that, that interpretation was revealed to me, um, I, I, I don't think I would have told him what it meant. You know, I'm, I'm a little surprised Joseph told him. I'm not complaining that Joseph told him. It's just you don't want to tell people those things, right? Verse 20, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. 
He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Um, just, just in case some of you are not sure about, about um, Pharaoh impaling the chief baker, let's just say the bottom line is he was killed, okay? The uh, chief baker was killed. All right. What, what do we discover? Many truths we discover from what we just read, but here's one of them. Sometimes you will be forgotten by people you have helped, right? Genesis 40 that we just read tells us of how when Joseph was in prison, the king's chief cupbearer and the chief baker were also in prison with him. Why were they in prison? Well, we're not told, but the chief cupbearer was, was kind of the king's assistant a king's assistant who was supposed to check all the food and the drinks to make sure someone wasn't trying to poison the king. That was a regular thing in those days. The chief baker was in prison, perhaps because he had baked the king a cake, which the king didn't like. But more likely, the chief baker had made the king a cake or some pastries, which the king um, became violently ill on account of them, right? Causing the king to wonder if the chief baker tried to poison the king as well. So it's possible, it's possible that, um, that, that the king put both the cupbearer and the chief baker in prison while an, an investigation was carried out to try to figure out, okay, who tried to kill the king? Chief cupbearer, the baker, who was it and why? And while they were in prison, they each had a dream, and they asked Joseph to interpret each of their dreams. But as we see, you know, in verse 12, this is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief cupbearer. Verse 14, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. And then verse 23 Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. How about that? Never giving him another thought. Joseph was left to rot in prison even after helping a guy he didn't have to help. My friends, you have probably also helped people in your life, but they have forgotten that 
And when you needed some help, they weren't there for you. Have you had that happen? Yeah. Some of you know exactly what that is like. And by the way, please remember, don't, don't forget parents. Don't forget your parents. When they get older, whether they are living on their own or they're living in a senior's home. As I mentioned that, I want to commend the many of you who are so diligent about showing love, kindness, goodness, and giving attention and time to your mother, your father, whether he or she is in a home or living still in their own home. I want to commend many of you who are remembering your parents. That's wonderful. Now, what made Joseph so resilient? What, what, what helped Joseph to bounce back? What helped Joseph to persevere when the cupbearer forgot him? What made Joseph persevere when, when he was thrown into prison for no fault of his own false accusation by Potiphar's wife, falsely accused of rape? What helped him continue on when he was treated like a piece of merchandise and was sold into slavery by his own brothers? How did he continue on when Joseph was, was hated by his brothers and they threw him into a cistern, a pit, initially intending actually to kill him. What helped Joseph to bounce back and to persevere? And what, what do you and I need to do to bounce back and to persevere through those times of severe disappointment? Pastor Rick Warren strongly recommends the following three helps. And I just want to share some time with you on these. A, in your message outline, you and I need to depend. Go ahead and write it in. You and I need to depend on God's presence no matter what we are going through. Is there an amen? amen? And this is what Joseph did. There's a phrase in the story of Joseph that is used uh, at least five times. And any time a phrase is, is repeated that often, you and I need to see it as very significant. The phrase that is used so often is the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. A. God was with Joseph when his brothers threw him into the pit. And God was with Joseph when he was sold into slavery. Acts 7, verses 9 and 10 says this. They, Joseph's brothers, sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. 
Now please notice, it doesn't say God spared him from all his troubles. It says God rescued him. When you have God's presence in your life, it, it doesn't necessarily mean he will always spare you from some troubles, but he will rescue you. That's what he did with Joseph. A different translation of Acts 7, 9, and 10 says this. It says, Jacob's sons became jealous of the brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But the Lord was with Joseph and brought him safely through all his troubles. My friends, whatever trouble you might be going through, God is with you, and he will bring you safely through. Amen? Notice the uh, next time we are told God was with Joseph. Point B, God was with Joseph when he was, a, when he was sold as a slave to Potiphar in uh, Genesis 39, verse 1 and 2, it says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Verse 2, the, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Notice, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the king's guard. Joseph ended up living in or close to the king's palace. Why is that important? I, I believe it's important because God was setting the stage. God was setting the stage for Joseph to eventually become second in command in all of Egypt. You got that? Go to point C. God was also with Joseph when Potiphar promoted him from being a regular slave to his personal assistant or personal uh, uh, attendant. We read of this in Genesis 39, verse 3 to 5. Point D. God was with Joseph when he was falsely accused of rape and he was put in prison at no fault of his own. We see, we see this again in Genesis 39, verse 20, 21, and 22. Joseph was in prison, but God blessed him. Then there's a fifth time when we are told, point E on your handout, God was with Joseph and the warden of the jail, but Joseph was put in charge of the prison. All right? Joseph was with Joseph. God was with Joseph, and the warden of the jail put Joseph in charge of the whole prison. It's, it's quite incredible when you think about it. No matter where Joseph was, in the pit, on the path to Egypt, or in Potiphar's mansion, or in prison, 
and eventually he ends up in Pharaoh's palace. God was always with Joseph. He was with Joseph in the good times and in the bad times. Joseph knew that, and he depended upon it. My friend, if you have repented of your sins, if you are trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and if you have invited the Lord into your life, the Lord is with you. That's what God says. That's what the Bible says. The Lord is with you. One of the best ways, one of the best ways to bounce back and to persevere in life is to depend on God's presence no matter what you are going through. Is there an amen? amen. God is there even when you don't feel his presence. I like, I like what Pastor Rick says. He says, he is there when you are worried. He is there when you are fearful. He is there when you are exhausted, when you are depressed, when you are scared, when you are lonely, when you feel hopeless. Setbacks cannot keep God back from you. The key is to tune into his presence. Say to yourself, I am not alone. I am not alone. God is with me. Amen? Here's a second major way by which you can persevere, all right? The first A was, uh, just go back, there you go. You and I need to depend on God's presence no matter what we are going through. Now B, you and I need to depend upon God's plan and promise for us no matter how long it takes. God had given Joseph a plan and a dream as to what God was going to do with his life, and he never lost sight of that dream. At the climax of the story, when Joseph ends up being second in command in Egypt, and his brothers come from Israel to buy grain because of a major famine. No food, no food for seven years. So his brothers came to Egypt to buy food. After his brothers discovered that they were dealing with Joseph, they became very afraid, very afraid of what Joseph would do to them for the fact that they sold him into slavery many years earlier. But listen to what Genesis 50, verse 19 to 21 says. 50, verse 19. But Joseph replied to his brothers. Joseph replied, to his brothers who had sold him into slavery many years earlier. Remember now, this is Joseph, second in command in Egypt, next to the Pharaoh. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me 
but God intended it, intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. When he says, so I could save the lives of many people, what he's talking about is, it was Joseph, it was Joseph who was able to tell the king that there, there was going to be seven years of, of um, plenty of crops and everything, but then there would be seven years of terrible famine, terrible famine. And, uh, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh had put Joseph in charge of uh, dealing with the crises. And, and Joseph, Joseph planned things in such a way that during the seven years when there was plenty of food, he stored a lot of the food, the grains and whatever else, so that in the following seven years, there was food for people in Egypt and for others. And so, and so uh, Joseph says, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And indeed, because of what Joseph did and how carefully he planned and how God had directed him, Joseph was able to save the lives of many people. Verse 21, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Wow. Many times, you and I will see our problems as setbacks. But oftentimes, think about this. Oftentimes, God uses our setbacks as stepping stones to where God wants to take us. You got that? God uses our setbacks as stepping stones to where God wants to take us. Joseph depended upon God's plan and promise of his life, for his life, and I believe you and I can also depend upon God's plan and promise for our life to help us persevere. Here's another way by which you can be enabled to persevere. We talked about A, B, and C is this. Thank you, Raven, for making things so clear on the PowerPoint on the big screen for everyone. Point C is depend on God's help in every challenge. Joseph depended upon God's help through his challenges. At one point, Pharaoh had a dream he couldn't interpret, and the cupbearer finally remembered there was a guy in prison who could interpret dreams, and they called upon Joseph. And uh, in Genesis 41, verse 15 and 16, Joseph interpreted his dream, which essentially meant, essentially meant Egypt was going to have seven very prosperous years followed by seven serious famine years. And Genesis 41, verse 31 says, this famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. That's how bad that famine was. The famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. 
Fortunately, the Pharaoh took Joseph's dream interpretation very seriously, and Pharaoh promoted Joseph to be second in command and to save the nation from famine. Genesis 41, verse 46 tells us, he, Joseph, was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Isn't it wonderful how God can use you and me, he can use us in our younger age, in our older years as well. We see God using people in the Bible, some who were young, like in this case at this stage, Joseph was only 30, and then we read of others who were much older. God used them in beautiful ways. I want to ask you these three questions. Whatever you go through, will you depend on God's presence just as Joseph did? Whether you are in the pit, the prison, or the palace. Next question. Will you depend on God's plan and promise for your life, no matter how long it takes? Try to see your setbacks as stepping stones to where God wants to take you. Amen? Third question, will you depend upon God's help, God's help during your setbacks? Amen? And through it all, my friends, in order to have God's presence and have God's plan and promise and God's help, we need to start by having a relationship with God. And we start that relationship when we seek forgiveness of our sins. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. And the reason we can be forgiven is because God came to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins and mine. And so now we can be forgiven because the price for our sins has been paid for. And so now, as you and I repent of our sins and believe in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, the Bible says we receive his presence and as we truly seek him, he reveals to us his plan and promise for your life, for my life. And he offers to us his help during the good times and the tough times of your life and mine. Would you bow your head with me, please? If as yet you have not given your heart, your life to the Lord, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me and say, Dear Lord, thank you for loving me. 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I want your presence in my life. I want you to come into my life. I know I can be forgiven because Jesus paid the price for my sins. I repent truly. And I want to live my life dedicated to you. I want, my, I want to live my life committed to you, Lord. And I thank you. I thank you for the fact that you have a plan and promise for my life and that you, you offer to me the help that I need day by day in the joys and in the tough situations of my life. I give you my heart and I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.